Welcome to First Online with Fran. This is Fran McGarry, and today I have a very special guest. But before I introduce her, in my dream this morning, I heard Auntie Mame's song, Open a New Window, Open a New Door, where she urges us that when one door closes, another one opens. During this pandemic of sheltering inside our homes, distancing ourselves from each other, looking for ways to reach out to our families, our community, has made us emotionally and physically suffering from COVID fatigue. What to do? Where do we turn? How do we stay connected in this climate of disconnect? The panic is palpable, especially for parents and keenly felt by children in classrooms or lack thereof, how to manage their education. How do you educate the whole child via Zoom? The arts were perceived as an extracurricular activity before the COVID crisis. How do we open a new door for teachers who are already stressed to the max, balancing the rigors of required state curriculums to then also add an enrichment activity in the arts? Dr. Jen Katona is my guest today and she sought solutions to these questions. She's the president and founder of Three Looms Creative Education Consulting. <laughs> Welcome, Jen. Hi, thank you for having me. So you not only opened a new door for others, but you also took a giant leap from being director and founder of the graduate program in educational theater at the City College of New York to starting up a new business in the midst of a pandemic. <laughs> Truly. I did, I did. What was that creative spark that prompted you to pursue this new endeavor? It has been something that I have been thinking about for a long time. When I was at City College and I was working with graduate students, I was working with pre and in service teacher candidates. And my alumni were the ones that I thought about a lot. So when they were in the program, you get so much mentorship through your coursework, through your colleagues, through seminars, student teaching, and then you go off as if now you know everything and you should be able to work in a classroom. And, and you know, that's just not the case. You need mentorship all along. And they're just, there was constantly, like, what can we be doing for them? How can we continue to support them? And, and then when I left the university and, and now I work for a public school in school administration, I see it the same thing. Teachers veteran teachers, 25, 30 years in the field, pandemic notwithstanding, constantly need somebody just to tap on the shoulder and say, am I doing this right? Or I have this crazy idea or where do I go for this resource? And so why not now, right? Now more than ever, teachers need somebody to turn to or to connect with. So often, particularly in the arts, they are alone. Maybe there's a music and an art and a theater teacher and then they have a little a little team, but typically it's one for a, a whole building of six, seven, eight hundred kids. And so somebody that they can email, uh, I envision this to be, you know, your lesson planning or you're, you're pulling your hair out and just somebody to call and say, what would you do in this situation? Have you ever encountered this before? Do you think I'm going crazy? And people have been really positively receptive to this. They've really, even if they're not using my services, they feel there's a little bit of a breath that, oh, there's somebody I could turn to. So if it got to that point, I know I can send that email or, or make that phone call. I really like what you talked about. You mentioned three things. One of the things is how isolated 
we all feel, but also I think it's really felt by teachers because you don't have that connection with the kids. You can't read that through the lens of a Zoom camera or whatever technology that they're using. So the first thing is the isolation. The second thing that you mentioned is that sustainability. How do you take what you know has worked in the past and reinvent that and continue to make it work despite the challenges that we're facing. And the third thing that you mentioned is as artists, as theater educators, we are accustomed to jumping off the brink, to taking risks. I think teachers in general have that capacity, but I think theater educators really are trained in such a way that makes it easier for implementing dramatic strategies of all kinds in a math class as well as in an art class. How does your business address those issues? Yeah, so I think there's two things there, right? So there's this present moment of how are we keeping our students engaged? There's a variety of ways folks in schools are approaching teaching during the pandemic. So some have gone fully remote. Some have gone where they, what we call roomers and zoomers, right? So you've got some kids in your room and some kids at home and you're trying to connect and create class community and few are, are hybrid. So you're only seeing one group at a time. But one thing we hear commonly is how do I still, what you were speaking to, stay connected, build ensemble. And then for those who are fully remote, that's a long day on Zoom for anybody, but particularly think of a six or a seven-year-old who has to sit in front of a camera or a computer screen for eight or nine hours. And the arts continuously are that answer to that question. Let's get them up. Let's move around. No matter what the content area is, get them stretching, get them activating it in their body, get them drawing their response rather than speaking their response or putting it in the chat box. So I'm constantly just reminding teachers of of the artistic expressions and the artistic resources that we're already using in their classroom and that it's okay for a kid to turn off the screen for a minute and do something else. What Three Looms does in terms, and again, not COVID, right, in a, in a post-COVID world, you know, when you go through, grad, you know this, Fran, when you go through graduate programs and doctoral programs, you're constantly asked to be reflective on your own educational experience. You're constantly asked to write your teaching philosophy. And I didn't know it when I was a kid, but as I look back at my own learning experience, I, there's two classroom experiences that now in my mid-40s, one was when I was four years old and I went to a progressive kindergarten or nursery school, and one was when I was in sixth grade and I went to a progressive private middle school experience. And in both of those experiences, they were play-based. In both of those experiences, they were inter, you know, interdisciplinary content. I remember so vividly sixth grade, we learned about the industrial revolution and we made a conveyor belt line and we all had our pieces and we made these wooden boats and then we sold them at a fair, at the holiday fair. I can remember, I can tell you everything about my classroom. I could tell you every name of every kid in my class. I could tell you what I ate for lunch that week because I had an emotional connection to the work. And you shouldn't have to go to a private school or have this progressive education to have that experience. I have dedicated my time and my work to how do I make sure every kid 
gets that kind of education. How do you have an emotional connection? And the arts are how you do that. I mean, you know that. Theater is how you do that. I can so relate to that. I remember when it was my first or second year of teaching. And when I graduated, teaching jobs were few and far between. So you took one, whatever. So here I am, a speech and theater education major. And my first job was teaching fifth grade science. <laughs> and, then, and then I taught at another school. It was a Catholic high school. And I got in trouble because I moved the desks oh. and got kids up and out of their seats. And it's like, the, the nun walked into the classroom and there was noise and there was movement and they were playing and engaging and this nun walked in and she goes, this class is a disgrace. <laughs> and I looked like one of the kids and I stood up and I said, this is my classroom, please leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you, I believe that education is fun. Mm-hmm. And you have to engage kids through the intention of whatever it is you're teaching. And I was also an English teacher, as you know. And we would teach things like To Kill a Mockingbird. And instead of doing the droll English teacher, this is what we're going to read and how many chapters are assigned, the kids walked into the classroom and I had about a dozen pair of different types of shoes. Mm. And I said to the kids, they were already used to, like, what is McGarry up to now? And I said, I'd like you to put on a pair of the shoes and, and interact. And I used that as an introduction to, you know, how Atticus gets his kids to think about walking in other people's shoes, you know, yeah. crawling around in their skin. And because of that kind of play and interaction, the kids couldn't wait to read the book. I didn't have to say, read the next five chapters. They read the entire book that night. So how does your program, how does your curriculum facilitate that play idea? Yeah, so what the work I've been doing, and there's an elementary school in particular that I'm working with, and I shared this story. It was this one case study in a kindergarten room. So we had three kindergarten classrooms. And they all read The Little Red Hen. And then the students were asked to sequence the story. And one classroom did a very traditional, great lesson. You know, teacher reads the story, does a shared reading protocol. The kids all, right? About 30% of those students could sequence the story. My other teacher did a fully immersive, almost process drama. The kids were up. They were acting it out. We had props and sets. 100% of the kids could sequence the story, right? So as soon as it gets into your body. So the work I do with teachers is I also want to make sure that it's sustainable and that there's buy-in, right? So if they hire a consultant, you almost need to work to get yourself out of a job, right? Like you don't want to stay at a school for 10, 12 years, even though that's financially good for you. You you want to be at a school for three years. You want to be able to go in, show them some great models, have them have some quick success. Like, you know, that little red hen happened a few weeks into our work together and we had buy-in, right? The, the school said, that's an extraordinary. Okay, how do we keep going with this? So kind of laid some foundation, taught some easy, you know, a la carte. Here's three or four, really simple. These are not gonna be hard for you to facilitate dramatic activities because there's also that fear, right? That sometimes educators have around theater. What does that mean? You're gonna make me read Shakespeare. We all, no, 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 we're just up and moving. 
And then how do you a la carte them? How do you take your lesson plan and say, great, let's input these three things in these three places and let's talk about what happened with the students. And it's that early pilot it early, right? Let's not just talk about it. Let me show you a few things and let's get into your classroom fast and let's you see the success. And as soon as they see the success, after that, it's just helping them figure out more of it. Now we're in year three and, you know, I was on a PD last night with many of them and they don't need me. They were moving and grooving and even in the midst of they've gone remote, even the gym teacher is figuring out how he can interconnect and it was lovely not to be needed to say, okay, they know how I've given them all the steps. They know now why it's important. They've seen the success with their students. We've given them the protocols and the organizational sheets that they can input their content in. And then the rest is just brainstorming and trying to be creative. How do you get the, the teachers? I went into the classroom teaching the playwriting curriculum from uh, Young Playwrights Inc. And many of the teachers, like you said, were resistant. It's like, I'm not a playwright. I don't know how to do this. And the basis of the lesson was to find your voice. Everybody has a voice. Everybody has something to say. And here are some ways that you can tap into that voice. I just can't believe how you went from being this prime, wonderful job at CC, you know, City University, and then making that giant leap. That speaks volumes of your creative, artistic uh, willingness to push the envelope. How did you do that? <laughs> Thank you. You know, I've always, it's a multi-layered answer. Even at the university, you know, one of the things that we were really successful at and kind of became known for was very practical experience. You cannot learn to be a teacher unless you're in a classroom with kids, right? There's like, there's definitely some things you need to know before you get in. And then you just got to get in front of those kids and you got to fail and you have to make mistakes and you have to run out of time and you have to lose your patience in a safe way that you can come back to your you know, your seminar, or your mentorship and say, this is what happened. What do I do the next time this happens? And so it was really important for me always as a graduate professor to be teaching. So I was constantly gigging and teaching artists and taking residencies and, and staying in the classroom because how, who am I to tell you how to be an effective teacher if I haven't been in the classroom in 10 years? So as I moved my work, my own work into school reform and really focused on how the arts could be this active learning tool and really do some school reform, it was the same thing. I needed to get back in the school administration. I needed to get back in and see it. And I was consulting with this school and doing this work and then an opportunity presented itself to come on here full time. And I took it because I, I need to walk the walk and I will always be teaching teachers and I will, you know, who knows where life takes you, but right now, I needed to see this work firsthand and going back into the public school in a pandemic <laughs> was certainly not plan A. I have, wow, what a, what I have, what an education, you know, talk about a postdoc and how schools manage these things and what the pandemic has kind of uncovered of how we treat our teachers and what education means to people. And when so you that's ask something, yeah, yeah, that's something I'm curious to, to know about what's the difference between before the pandemic and now? Like what kind of things, because it is a pandemic and because you are forced to facilitate programs, you know, in this technology world, 
to your surprise, what kind of outcomes did you get that would have never happened before? We've had to prioritize our curriculum. You can't teach as much in this setting. It's just for a variety of reasons. Resources, you know, you're not there over the kid to show them things. And that has been, that in some ways has led to stronger teaching because you really have to name what it is you're teaching. These are the four most important concepts I need to make sure this student knows to move on to the next grade. And when you really start to go in and unpack all of the other curriculum and you get laser focused and specific, some of the work has come out even stronger. Can you compare and contrast specific example? My general music teachers typically this time of year are preparing for their holiday concerts, right? Some sort of winter concert and they will have started that in early October and that really would have been what they did. And it's amazing. And I can't wait till we can get back to that and hear the halls filled with singing again. But when you take singing away, which we've had to do in the pandemic, they've had to really go back to kind of these fundamentals of music, which were always there, but kind of mixed in through singing. And now we are seeing, I mean, percussion is off the charts here because that's really something we can do a lot of, but our rhythm, our, you know, a lot more work into like flamenco and rhythm patterns. And it just has opened up a whole other kind of side alleyway of music instruction that I don't think we would have necessarily explored because traditionally we're working on the holiday concert this time of year. So there's been a great look at music from other cultures. There's been a great look at world music because now, you know, and because we're on in technology, we're look, we're going on virtual field trips. We're watching videos a lot more. I think kids are getting a deeper exposure to music even though they can't be singing it right now, which, which was a nice bonus. I wonder if classroom teachers are able to create a scaffolding among these kinds of teaching lessons. Do you know what I mean? Like how, like you're talking about learning about world musicians and, and culture and that kind of thing. Does the music teacher then reach out to the English teacher and the social studies teacher? How does that occur? Yeah, so, so at, the arts integra- at our arts integrated schools, that's built into their planning time. That's just become part of the culture there. But yes, because of the pandemic, and again, prioritizing, people try to share resources and share that time, right? So how can I support what you're doing so that our students are, we're really maximizing our time with our students. That has certainly started to happen. I think there's also any tragedy or any kind of obstacle always brings people together. And there has been a lot more, I have seen, I I have seen particularly like in my, you know, my teachers and my arts community coming together and sharing resources in a way. And, and yeah, then they reach out to each other within the school. I was on a call today with a principal who said that that their social studies and theater teacher or their math teacher and their music teacher had been collaborating and trying to get the kids outside and people are being creative. It it is a silver lining to say when this is over to say, great, those were great projects we worked on. How do we, those don't have to end because of COVID now. What can we take into our practice? What would you say is the biggest success story you have uh, as a result of implementing this new organization of yours? Like I said, I have known for years, I mean, as a teacher myself, I remember I was um, in a program when I was 
a new teacher where I got weekly mentorship you know, again, you don't know it when you're in it that you don't realize, oh, this isn't what everyone has. Like you, not everybody has somebody you can talk to once a week and, and just be honest. And so that has always been something that I've just always known is so important. And yeah, I think people are just so grateful to have, or even if they don't come here to say, it's okay to ask for help. I think too, that there is, particularly if you leave like a graduate program or you've gone to grad school and now you should know what to do. I think that that's a myth that, you know, that just because you've gotten a job that now you know how to be a teacher and you don't, I mean, teaching is a really hard profession and it's an ever-changing profession, just like, you know, medicine might be where there's always innovations or there's always new curriculum or there's always new guidelines or a new law or new standards. So why wouldn't we be constantly refreshing that or constantly being open to saying, I still need help. Or even if you're a math, I mean, I remember I had been a teacher for 20 years at the time and I walked into a classroom and it was like, I was a first year teacher again. I mean, every group of kids, every period of every day is a totally different experience for anyone to think, yeah, I've got this. I love I that. <laughs> I yeah, trust I, that. It's like, no one's got it. I, 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 like, I remember you got me thinking about when you think as a teacher or like I, I was supervising uh, student teachers in the ed theater program there in their student teaching program and like you said th there's a big difference between what you're doing in grad school and when you're actually in the classroom but I really I just never thought about the impact that I had on kids you know from even when I was teaching you know my, my 30 years in Northport I just didn't realize there were kids in my English classes who said, I will never forget when, and they, they share something and you're like, oh my God, that's right. And I, I remember they're like, how, how can you remember me? It's like what you said, how could I not remember yeah. you? I remember sharing a book or giving lunch to a kid, or it's just this experience that is so profound that the arts can bring into a classroom did you have a, a story like that, you know, where somebody was out there and was failing and said, I'm going to use this approach and got back to you? I'm immediately thinking of a time, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm going to a time when I was a teacher, and maybe I'll come back to the other one, but I'm so remembering, I was a middle school teacher in, uh, in Brooklyn, and I had a, a particularly tough group of seventh graders. And it was just one of these, what's going to work? You know, every day kind of throwing something at the wall going, okay, that didn't work. That didn't work. That didn't work. That didn't work. Uh, and just trial and error. And finally, I thought, let me try Shakespeare. Why, why did this group? But, you know, I was probably, you know, was home and researching, okay, Shakespeare. And they felt so smart. They felt like this was something they could do. They, they attached immediately to it. And Again, this is not rocket science, but we took a few iconic scenes from Romeo and Juliet and we, I let them write it into their own words. And some of them performed the, the soliloquies and sometimes in some people did the, you know, the balcony scene, but in, with a modern twist and a, another group did the, you know, the ball and just did like a hip hop dance. And we kind of put it together and they were so successful, so, so successful they wanted a cast party afterwards the next class they brought in food and they said they threw themselves a party they were like we we did it what's next 
See, that's the other thing that I think you're bringing out that's important, is that I think the arts do not discriminate yep. against the young. My last five years of teaching to finish my PhD, which you can relate to, there was no way that I could maintain directing six productions, touring children's theater companies, doing college recommendations. I couldn't do that if Lowell said to me, he's like, you're either going to do that or you're going to finish your PhD. And I wanted to finish that. So the last five years, I taught eighth grade English. Wow, talk about a huge thing. But I was so inspired. I was working on my, my doctoral work. I was so inspired by going to that community, like you said, that support education community, and then thinking to myself, why not do it with eighth graders? And I did Antigone hmm. with eighth graders. And they walked into the classroom and I was playing J-Lo's Let's Get Loud. Let's get loud. Da, da, da. And they're like, what is she doing? And we did Antigone. I broke it up into beats and actions and they were each choruses of each of the characters. So I had eighth graders who could recite lines from Antigone. Why not? Why not? And you know, and, it, and it's also reminding me that what the arts do I had the luxury, right, of coming in and going, that didn't work, that didn't work, that didn't work. Math curriculum doesn't have that luxury, right? Science curriculum doesn't have that luxury. English, right, this is what we're reading. But the arts, yeah, we get to, we get to find our way with our students and, and really make it individualized in a way that the other content areas can't. And so when we marry those two, when we take when we take kind of that openness of theater and say, look at all the avenues, you can be a choreographer, you can do the lighting design, you can do the media, whatever it is, right? There's a hundred different entry points and we bring that philosophy. You know, that's the other part of my work is it's not just let's draw a picture to reflect or let's, let's create something with our bodies or let's put this into some scene work, but it's really around the artistic process, right? What is the process of an artist? An artist is inspired, then they do some work, then they step back and reflect, then they come at it from another angle, then they step back and reflect, then they ask the, you know, the audience gets to have an input. And it's this very like cyclical, reflective, refining process. That's also part of an arts integrated curriculum, right? So it's saying to teachers, we're not just always driving forward. Sometimes we're stopping, we're pausing, we're reflecting, we're asking the kids, how's it going? Where do we need to go next? What are you thinking? How are we feeling today? Okay, let's go down this side for a little while. It frees them up so that they can try a few different things sometimes, right? That, that we get to do as artists that the core content areas don't always get to do. And I think that they, they're relieved by it a little bit. I was talking to some of them yesterday and they were saying the same thing. They said midday, they had to just change course. And I said, that's because you're, this is the new kind of artistic way that we're approaching this work, which is there is, we're breathing into it a little bit. It's, we're trying, you know, and because we've prioritized content so much, we can, there is room to kind of just be and connect with the students and how are we all doing today? And we're not just jumping from subject to subject to subject. What are some of the assessment tools? you use to see if, how am I doing? This is what we set out to do, did we do it? Yeah, so from like a, a like if we pull out and we look at the school and I say, okay, I, you know, I was charged with helping this school 
take on an arts integrated model, my ultimate assessment tool is what I did last night where I sat there and I, they didn't need me, right? So that's how I know when they can talk to each other and they can plan, there's, there's some unspoken, right? And, and you know this from the arts. Sometimes, yes, we have our measurements of assessment, but sometimes you know by the eyes on the kids, right? If you walk into the room and all eyes are on you and they're like, what are we doing today, right? That's sometimes all you need for an assessment. Like I've got them. If they're strolling in five, 10 minutes late and asking to go to the bathroom every 10 minutes, that's sometimes an assessment too, right? Okay, so I don't have them. <laughs> and sometimes it's that internal assessment I have with teachers. If I get on a call and, oh, you know, I see that, then I know like, okay, so this work is still a lift for them. If I get on and I say, guys, you know, we're going to start thinking about how we're integrating the arts and they're throwing ideas at me, I'm good, right? I've, I've done my job. In the moment, as we're kind of tracking through, I have a lesson plan format that I've created that I asked them to use and I can, we can measure that. Yeah. Talk a little bit. I'd, I'd like to know what that is. What kind of is a lesson plan format that you have? Like it, yeah. not a, not a template necessarily, but a framework. A framework. Yeah. So through, you know, through my work at city college and just being a, you know, a teacher myself, just starting to think about how do you create and knowing right with, with, psychology of kids or humans if we everybody is most creative when they feel safe so that there's boundaries so there has to be boundaries by which then I can be creative I I think sometimes the downfall of the arts is so open that I don't even know where to begin I can be most creative when I feel safe and I can feel safe when I have parameters I created kind of just this five-part protocol so uh, and again, it's not, you know, if you're an artist, this, this is the rehearsal process. So it's just taking those, those organizations, you know, the way artists are and just moving it into the classroom. So we start with our warm up. It's about a five minute activity, uh, gets our bodies moving. You know, we talk a lot about not creating lesson plans that you're going to use across the day, but it's really individualizing those. So your first period class warm up is going to be very different from your last period class warm up or your before lunch or your after lunch. So that five minute warm up is really getting your class ensemble in the right frame of mind. So you need to wake them up. You need to calm them down. They need to talk about what happened at lunch. Where do you think as artists, we tend to dismiss that. It's like, oh, well, yeah, I did that. And, and it just, fascinated by what you're doing and I so admire what you're doing. I'm going to I'm going to try to retrack. I'm trying to think back. I was doing the um the point is that you got to get kids up and out of their seats. And it doesn't matter what age. I did it with senior AP classes as well as first and second and third graders. Right? Well, yeah, well, you know, and it's so funny because if you go into a nursery school, preschool, kindergarten, everything is station-based, right? And it's inquiry and kids are playing and they walk in and they have free play in the morning and then they have a snack. And, and then slowly we just take all that away. And I am always saying to my, to my teachers, like, why did we stop that? Put the stations back, let there be free play. Let comes kids come in and just pick up the instruments and play them and bang them and see what happens and then tell them and give them some structure and teach them. But we lost play has become something kids do. And it's really how we learn, right? And so we can give it a fancy name and call it inquiry based learning. But really, it's just play. It's just here's a bunch of stuff. See what happens when you bang it together. They're so cute. And we forget that, you know, they're high school seniors, they're 17 years old, they're 18 years old. These are kids. 
year I did some, I, they were going to see, they were going to see a play and we did some pre-show work. And yeah, getting them into just groups of four and put them in a tableau, they were giggling and they were loving watching each other kind of be silly and all that they look like eight-year-olds, right? And then you, you do forget that they are just, you know, 15, 16 is not old, but in our education system, they're our oldest students. So we treat them, I mean, yes, they're getting ready for college and they should be mature, but we can't lose that sense of play. Learning is fun. Yeah, and, it should be. And theater educators know how to implement that into a strategic format and yep. achieve towards those ends. Jen, thank you for playing with me today. Thank you. <laughs> I will be sharing with everyone your links to your business and your passion for your work, both uh, your love and dedication and your scholarly insights are deeply appreciated. And I'm so happy we had a chance to talk about our favorite subject. Me too. Thanks so much for having me, Fran. Thank you, Jen. Take care. Bye. Open a new window, open a new door, travel a new highway that's never been tried before. Before you find you're a dull fellow, punching the same clock, walking the same tightrope as everyone on the block. The fellow you want to be is three-dimensional, soaking up life down to your toes. Whenever they say you're slightly unconventional, just put your thumb up to your nose and show them how to dance to a new rhythm, whistle a new song, toast with a new vintage. The fizz doesn't fizz too long. There's only one way to make the bubble stay. Simply travel a new highway, dance to a new rhythm, open a new window every Find out more about what Fran is up to. Go to her website at firstonlinewithfran.com. This program was produced by March Hare Media and recorded at We Chief Studio Productions.